0: Welcome back, Rabbi Hirsch. Today we're going to be diving into the final part of the series on controversial prayers, which has proven to be a huge hit. Apparently people like controversies. (laughs) How surprising. (laughs) Yeah. And this one we said last week is going to be called The Angels.
1: Yes, and two parts to this one as well. We'll start with the fact that as one of the 13 principles of faith, the fifth in fact the rambam states that one may not pray to any intermediary or any other source yet we have just finished what you might call the slichus season and we are familiar with the fact that towards the end we have this paragraph entitled machnisei rachamim the angels who bring the prayers of mercy to the heavenly throne, it's basically a request for these malachim to bring our tefillah to God, and is therefore seemingly a clear contravention of the Rambam of Maimonides principle. And to be doing so during Slichus, in the run-up to Rosh Hashanah, when we're on our best behavior, might not be the best of ideas. Mm -hmm. And it's far from the only occasion, there is another tefillah in Slichus, Malache Rachamim Moshurse Elioin, where we also make requests from them. Many more. It cuts across the divide, Svardim Ashkenazim, and perhaps more familiar and more regular, there is the very standard Shalom Aleichem, which is of more recent vintage than the. Paragraph in Slichas. It dates back to the 16th century, although we're not actually sure who the author was. It could have been North Africa, could have been Eretz but it's world famous. And once again, it's talking to the angels, the Malache Eloin. And in the third stanza, it requests that they should bless us.
0: So funnily enough, in our house, we actually miss out the third stanza. Really? Yeah, we grew up not saying it, and much to the surprise of all our guests, my father always used to say, no, we we don't say this one, and always used to ask him why, and, and I guess this is the reason.
1: It's a family custom?
0: This is a family custom dating, I mean, my father's origins are in Israel, and to the best of my knowledge, his entire community doesn't say it.
1: Interesting, okay. So there you have it, but most of us do, although I would say you are in the good company of one very familiar scholar of note because Ramosha Feinstein writes that his father omitted this stanza, although everybody else that I am familiar with does say it. Yeah, and I, it
0: never, I never met anyone else that doesn't. Right. Do we know if Ramosha himself said
1: it? I very much doubt it. I mean, he writes it in his Truvis, in his response, and not just as sort of a throwaway line in Interest, Russia.
0: Interesting it didn't become an American custom then.
1: Right. Maybe it was too entrenched. And, and it's interesting because there are an awful lot of people who say it who would generally be what you might call Kabbalah-averse. What we are going to be looking at is who's actually right, and when in history did the practice and controversy start? So, there is a Yerushalmi in Brochus which states that if difficulties happen to a person, that person should not cry out to Michael or Gavriel, in other words to angels, but to God. And therefore, Rubius of Albo, the Sefer Korim, the Abravanel, the Maral, likely the Mabit as well, just to mention a few, All are of the opinion that one may not say the prayer of Machnisei Rachamim in Slichus. And in fact, the Maral amends the text. Instead of reading Machnisei Rachamim Hachnisu Rachamenu, that you should be bringing in our prayers, it now reads in his version Machnisei Rachamim Yachnisu Rachamenu, which is therefore directed to Hashem. The chassam sofer, based on this, had an interesting personal, one could almost say custom, in which he deliberately stretched out the end of his slichus prayers so that by the time the chassan got to the end, he sort of found himself without the time to be able to say this paragraph, and nobody really noticed, but he clearly didn't object to his community doing so. So that's the one set of opinion. On the other hand, other authorities of real note disagreed, going all the way back in time. Rav Shriragon, 10th century, wrote that when praying to angels, you have to pray in Russian HaKodesh in Hebrew. However, when praying directly to Hashem, the prayer could be said in any language. And therefore, the instruction of Yaakov, which we say with our kids every night HaMaloch HaGoyel Oisi the angel who redeemed me Yevorech he should bless the children now it's true that Yevorech could be translated as not should bless but will bless which means that we are defining this angel's job description. I'm not asking a favour I am instructing. So it depends how you translate that little yud, yevorech. It's quite a loaded language, Hebrew. But Mrupshira Gon says it is very much asking the angels. Rashi writes that the opinion of Rabirchanan is that one should always pray for help from the administering angels to strengthen the power of prayer. We also know that Camus amulets have the names of angels, as any of you who've written one would, of course, know. And the Geneser collection in Cambridge has a mezuzah, which I've seen multiple times, with the names of angels written on the side. It's identified as Egyptian and dated to pre Rumbum because he specifically writes that one may not have the names of angels or mezuzahs, because the whole purpose of a mezuzah is to articulate our faith in Hashem. Rubakiva Eger, whose yacht site it is actually today, said that one should not amend prayers which have existed for a thousand years and are the work of scholars of antiquity. So you have these two sides. Now, ironically, the Reform Movement used the argument to ban the saying of Machnise Rachmem in 1828. They put out a book in which they explained that using intermediaries is wrong, but since in the same publication they took aim at many other prayers, including Kol Nidre, in order to shorten the service, one has to be suspicious of their motivation. Although, this did lead to an assembly of rabbis in France discussing this point in 1857, many of whom were not strictly orthodox, and the two who stood their ground against any changes were predictably the two orthodox rabbis, Rabbi Lieberman from Nancy and Rabbi Schlomer Wolf Klein from Colmar, because that area of France, Alsace-Lorraine, had far more religious environment This conference in 1857 left it up to the individual rabbi to decide what prayers should and should not be said. And Rabbi Klein was upset by these conclusions and wrote a sefer called Divrei Piyutim to explain why we do what we do. There were further ramifications to this get-together. In Cologne, it actually split the community because the rabbi there, Rabbi Yisrael Schwartz, refused to attend, and his community adopted the full measure of the conference, and they therefore terminated the recital of Kol Nidre, at which point he left.
0: Wow. What was happening in England at the time?
1: So, in 1879, there was a list of demands made of the British chief rabbi, Rab Nosson Adler, which was followed by a conference the next year. The conference was entitled Conference of Delegates to Consider Modifications in the Service of the Synagogue. And most of that was probably in capital letters. And this conference happened just at the end of his tenure. It was a decade before he passed away, but he basically was handing over the reins to his son. But his opposition to changes to major liturgy won the day, although certain prayers were dropped, including Yukon Purkon on Shabbos and Pittimachteris. Why those two? Well, the former Yukon Purkon, was in Aramaic, and that was therefore an easier target. It was felt that it's lengthy if you say the whole thing and just say the main. It's a bit of a offering. slippery slope, too. Yes, it was, but there, there were many more that they wanted taken out. Mm. And in fact, Shamsham Fal was contacted, written to, by his son in law, Rabbi Levy, who was in London at the time, living in London. And he responded and he said, How different is it from asking people to pray on our behalf to asking angels? So he vindicated the practice. Obviously, there was going to be one community somewhere where this ended up as a full-blown internal argument and that occurred in Trieste in Italy 300 years ago. Trieste is an interesting community. It's in the very north of Italy. In fact, so far north that most of the last 600 years it was under Austrian and not Italian rule. But it became a free port in the early 1700s, which brought Jews into town. Is there anything left there? Um, I never really heard no. of it. No. So the older shawls were destroyed, and in fact, one Oro in one ark ended up in Israel, as was the case in a number of Italian smaller towns. This is so the Ark was transferred after the war, the older cemetery no longer stands. It was torn up in the beginning of the 20th century for no real good reason by the authorities. So there's not a lot left. There is a shawl there, but it's of much more recent vintage. I I don't even think it's 100 years old. Mm. So there in 1740, there was an argument within the community and specifically over Machnisei Rachamim, for which they turn to the greatest scholars of Italy, principally Rabshimshin Morpogo Morporgo of Ancona. And in fact, the entire correspondence is preserved by the Pachad in Ferrara. Yeah, it's fair
0: to say that both practices continue to this day.
1: Yes. So in other words, you could say the jury is out in the sense that a good argument is made by both sides. And that allows either position to be taken, to say or not to say, as long as one doesn't ascribe independent power to angels, which would unquestionably be idolatrous. So you can continue not to say, and I will continue otherwise, and we can still <laughs> agree we, to disagree. Right. Make these podcasts together. <laughs> so on to the second part of the question, and that is one particular prayer. Brishmei, which is said when the Sefer Torah is taken out of the Orin. Now it's obviously a prayer in Aramaic, but that isn't the issue. Kaddish is as well, and that's never been targeted. Now Brishmei is of course known from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, it's towards the end of the film when the Germans, you know, the bad guys, they open the Ark and they have their guy recite it while dressed in sort of priestly-like garments. It must be said it's worth watching that clip again to familiarize yourself with it because they only say the most controversial bit of Bricchamé and therefore it's not surprising that they all die <laughs> other than the hero. I hope I haven't spoilt the plot for anyone who has not yet seen it but it was made 40 years ago so you have had lots of warning. <laughs> But back here in the studio, the actual question about saying Brech Sheme, there are three main grounds for objection. The first is that it's Kabbalistic, not just that it's in Aramaic. It's from the Zohar in Vayakel, unlike most of prayer. The second is an outcome. As a result of it being from the Zohar, it's therefore not mentioned in any of the early Sidurim. Rashi, Machzavitri, Rambam, the Goenim, nor is it mentioned in the Shulchan Aruch or the Ramal, the Code of Jewish Law, it doesn't appear anywhere before the mid-1500s. There is a third reason, and that is a very controversial line in it, and there are other lesser considerations.
0: Once that's very controversial line, we'll get there. <laughs> I'm assuming this is why it's always said with such a record-breaking pace. I'm usually about a quarter of the Actually, way through.
1: no. Uh, we'll okay. see a sort of a reason for that as well. <laughs> it is first brought into Tfilah by the Arizal. So he is the most influential Kabbalist of the last 700 years. He lived in Egypt and then towards the end of his life in Tzvas, which is where he's buried and therefore we're talking the mid-1550s. And we find it printed in an Italian siddah in 1609, and in a German siddah around the same time, but in sort of a smaller font, a smaller script. And one siddah had it just for Simchas Terra, because within Brixhamet we talk about the Terra, so they praised the Terra through it. What did the Jewish communities do over the next 300 years pre Holocaust? So, Germany, across the board almost, did not say it. Frankfurt, Cologne, Mainz, Hamburg. And in fact, if you go to the ERG in Zurich today, you will not hear it, nor will you find it in their Sidurim. Wow. Eastern Europe did. And in fact, the Khofitzhai mentions it in the Mishnah Brura as a custom, but he himself did not say it for the most remarkable and notable of reasons. He felt he could not say about himself, Anna Avda de I am a true servant of Hashem. So, you know, we make a song out of it, and he couldn't even say it. The Spanish and Portuguese do not say anything from the Zahar far too close to Shabtai Tzvi and its effects. And, you know, based on what we said last week about Amsterdam, you see how sensitive an issue it was, and it therefore still continues to this day. Gibraltar say it only sparingly. They only say it on Shabbos morning, not on Yontaf, not on any of the festival days, unless the festival day falls on a Shabbos. So, you know, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur this year, they would not have said it. A Middle Eastern Swaridim generally did; the UK did not because they were following German, especially Hamburg customs. But if you look at the standard United Synagogue sidurim nowadays, you will find it. And Dime Binstock informs me that it was introduced into the 1962 Singer's edition, still only for Shabbos of morning, basically because many people were saying it anyway. And, this is an interesting reason, neither the Routledge nor the Singers, which was the standard, ever issued a sort of a Chazan size, a large edition of the Siddur, which meant that the Chazanim tended to be using a different Siddur to the rest of the community. And therefore, they had it in their siddah. And there's this sort of irresistible urge for chazonos, which accompanies that piece. (laughs) So he got adopted. Therefore, you've got external factors influencing the outcome in the UK.
0: Wow. What was the controversial line that you mentioned earlier? Right.
1: So there's one sentence. We say, it's in Aramaic, lo al bar elohin samichna, which I will translate literally. I do not rely on the sun. Of God right now that's bound to go down well because what you're saying is I don't rely on him I know <laughs> he's around he's just unreliable you know you can't get hold of him on a Sunday morning <laughs> now remember this isn't something the Christians made us say we are the ones who inserted this into our filler about the son of God and although it's true that we are referred to as God's children frequently B'ni Bechere Yisrael, Bonim Atem Lashem, but not as an individual. We're talking as a nation. At which point the question is why does anyone say it? How can anyone say it? Just, you know, take the bit out. So you understand it's rather controversial, to put it mildly. So one of the answers is that in Sefer Daniel, we find this expression. Referring to angels and not to a human being. Another explanation, based on the understanding of the Aramaic, is that bar means to exclude. And in the context, it therefore means, I do not rely on anyone or anything bar except God. And therefore, it fits neatly into the next phrase, Ella only in the the god of truth so you know for one of those two reasons that's why it is redeemable but if you take a tour of jewish krakow Kazimierz, and you go into the isaac shawl very imposing building built in the 1600s the walls have multiple frescoes although most of them are a century later as you enter the main shawl on the right hand side there is uh, probably four to five foot rendering of Brich on the wall. And what do you know? That controversial sentence is just missing altogether. The rest is there, but not this sentence, you know, figure-toi. Wow. And is some-
0: this something you noticed or is this something known?
1: It might be known. I pointed out when I take a group there, but I'm not sure if it so is. do you have a yes. peek at all the shuls you go to on their Brich on the wall? I always have a peek at the frescoes because it's interesting to see which tefillas are up there. Some of them are due to lack of familiarity. If you go to Tikuchin, you find some of the slichas on the wall in a back uh, right-hand corner, if I recall correctly. That has um, to
0: take up a whole wallpaper, surely. The slichas.
1: No, they've got like the main sort of hizmon because uh, not all communities said slichas as we do nowadays, where you have a different one each day. Once again, if you go back to the ERG in Zurich, they have a much more standard type of Sleiches, not quite like the Svardim, who say exactly the same thing, but they always have it the same length. It makes no difference, pre-Rosh Hashanah, post-Rosh Hashanah. So following this
0: podcast, there might be a mass immigration to Zurich. Yes, that could (laughs) be. Yeah, yes. I've noticed many Shuls have the moidim. On the wall right the modem prayer that we say when yeah we...
1: yeah so there are a couple that sort of made it in as wall adornments yeah. uh, but in the older shrules in europe they were often in order to give people the text so beyond that controversial sentence the question is when should it be said it appears that it's only said on shabbos initially in fact the mogan avram Uh, brings from the Kisvei HaRi, the the writings of the Arizal, that you only say it on Shabbos. But which part of Shabbos? So many say Shachris, but the Chida and others say Mencha on Shabbos specifically. So saying it at Shachris is what the United Synagogue in the UK have done. Shals like monks, that's when they say it. And therefore, once again, you have a controversial prayer initially not said by many, which is clearly Kabbalistic in origin, and now subject to very different customs. Fascinating.
0: Yeah, another thing we say so frequently, and we have no idea of the history yep. behind. Correct. Regarding last week's episode, before I forget, a question came in whether there are still places in Europe that have an organ played on Shabbos.
1: So, if we're talking about pre-war communities that have continued the practice, of the places that I've been to in Europe, I know offhand only of one, where they still actively do so on Shabbos, and that is the Dohani Temple in Budapest. It's neolog and not reform, and therefore, as mentioned last week, it is played by a non-Jew on Shabbos. I recall being there, taking a tour there in July and asking whether they would be playing the organ that shabbos and the reply came no it's the three weeks so they don't play music which is interesting shall we say
0: (laughs) i was told that the Dahani synagogue is reform that's incorrect no it's neolog i see yeah secondly are there kabbalistic prayers that were incorrect
1: Possibly. I mean, I'm sure there were, but there's one that definitely springs to mind, which ties into this week as well. If you look at older machzerim for Rosh Hashanah, this is actually fascinating and a bit worrying, I guess. There are short prayers which are said between the three sets of shofar before musaf, by which I mean there are 30 blasts altogether. There's a set of 12. A set of nine and a set of nine, and between, in other words, after the twelve, there's a short prayer after the nine and after the final nine. A very few people say them nowadays, uh, generally because of the issues of time. You know, it's not a lot of time between them starting the next lot again. But there's also a much more sinister reason not to say it. The version was deliberately corrupted in the late 1800s or perhaps the very early 1900s. If you have the earliest edition of an art scroll machsa, then you will see it in there. I remember Ramesh Shapirozatzal was giving us in the JLE once in the library, and he asked for a machsa, and he read to us that after the first set of 12, in other words, the first set of Tkiyosh, we ask that our prayers be taken upwards through yeshua sar haponim and there is no such angel doesn't exist it is a reference to yeshu and and the yeshua is written without the aleph at the end it's written as yeshu basically would be generally, I guess, more known to us by his Latin American name of Jesus. And it was inserted by Christian missionaries into Rosh Hashanah Davening at one of the most intense points of tefillah. It has subsequently been taken out of, let's say, the art scroll. The later editions don't have it. But what they were doing is using the format of the standard Eastern European machzorim, and in many of them, it appeared. Moshe felt that what had happened is that they literally bribed the printers after it, it was in the print house to insert it. And there weren't that many print houses at the time. And there was a lot of government supervision. So the opportunity and motive were both there. I'm not sure if in anything that has been printed in the 21st century, you will find it. But yeah, how's that for drama? Wow,
0: very dramatic. Did Art Scroll issue a international?
1: (laughs) I'm not sure how many people would ever have been aware or noticed, but it's something I remember at the time that, you know, he pointed out to us. Incredible.
0: Does does anything else spring to mind when you think of Because I'm assuming if it happened once...
1: So there are others. Actually, not from the Christians. There are references from Shabtai Tzvi which still endure in the Yahirot sign that we say on Shalosh Regalim when we take out the Sefer Torah after Hashem Hashem. There's a sentence in there that almost certainly comes from him, which is still said. Although I don't, but uh, I guess most people do.
0: Wow. Okay, I think we're running out of time, although I had a few more things to ask, maybe next time. So this is the final part of part one.
1: That is the end of controversial prayers, and we'll start up after Sukkot when we're back to the weekly Tuesday format, M'et Hashem, and we'll be doing a four-part series on early American experiences, and we'll start with the spy in 1776. We'll probably do this chronologically Jewish spy, obviously.
0: Rabbi Hirsch is very humble, so he's not going to admit the reason why he's doing the American experiences is because there've been many requests from the American audience. Why? Why are you only busy with the history of Europe, England specifically, <laughs> and they would like a bit of history on early America? So, thank you very much, Rabbi Hirsch. Looking forward to begin after the Yom again and get into the rhythm. All the best. Thank you, and as usual. Any comments or feedback to be sent to podcast at jle.org.uk. Thank you. Thank you.